the passage that we're going to be looking at is John chapter 10, verse 1 to 30. That can be found on page 1,666 of the church Bibles. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one.
Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much that we can come and hear the words of Jesus and we pray that we would, that we would be your sheep who hears the words of the shepherd um, and may we follow his voice. Amen. Okay, so we've heard that Christmas in July is coming. We're having that thing. So we're going to do weird things. Uh, that is the weird things you do every Christmas. You get to a Christmas or a Christmas in July and you pull the crackers and then out of it come all the things and you, put, you use them and you think it's entirely normal, which is strange. So all of us will put on paper crowns because obviously all of us have been looking at each other thinking they're incomplete. You know, what they really need is a paper crown and you will wear them throughout the whole meal. Or then there's the funny things that come out of the crackers. Um, you know, fake lips, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. You know, for those mornings I wake up and my lips have gone. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's just weird. Um, or, you know, you get the excellent miniature measuring tape. Fantastic, perfect for all those moments when you just want to measure a tiny bit of something and not the whole lot. Or, um, you know, the set of mini cards where you go, oh, great. So helpful for when I'm just bored of a full-size deck, you know, like you're playing with that and go, this is, no, what we really need is mini cards. Um, or the miniature sewing kit, you know, when you just want to, you know, sew something very small. <laughs> it's so funny. And then there's the really bad riddles. You remember how they go, don't you? No, because they're so terrible. You know, what did the leg bone say to the foot? Stick with me and you'll go places. Terrible. Instantly forgettable. Um, now, if you're wondering what on earth this has, the connection is between this and John 10, it is in the riddle because sometimes in a cracker you will get a brain teaser. What walks all day on its head? Well, you have to think about that, don't you? That's a bit baffling. What does walk all day on its head? A nail in a horseshoe. Oh, so glad that was pointed out. All right, in John chapter 10, Jesus explains who he is to us, but he explains it using a riddle. Because after speaking to the Pharisees about gates and sheep and a sheep pen and a robber, and all those ideas are going around, and a shepherd who's voice, the sheep will know. Then verse 6, we read, Jesus used this figure of speech, this riddle, that's what the word means, but the Pharisees had no, had, didn't have the foggiest of what he was talking about. So what is he talking about? Well, it's really important that we grasp it, that's why Jesus eyeballs us through these words and he says, very truly I say to you, in other words, you've really got to get this, and then in verse 7, when they they didn't get it. He says, therefore, Jesus says again, I tell you the truth. Listen. And he explains the riddle and unravels the puzzle. Now, his answer is in three parts. We're only going to look at the first two parts today. In each part, he picks on some of the different ideas that come out of this riddle. So in verses 7 to 10, Jesus speaks of the gate. Verses 11 and 18, he speaks of the shepherd. And then 25 to 29, he speaks of the sheep. We'll be looking at the gate and the shepherd, verses 7 to 18. Those parts of the puzzle that speak directly to us of who Jesus is towards us. We ask, who is Jesus in relation to me? Who is Jesus in relation to you? 
Answer, I am the gate for the sheep. Verse 7. I am the good shepherd. Verse 11. I am the good shepherd. Verse 14. Now, a lot of us will be familiar with this, but if you rip these pages out from your Bible, what would you miss? Well, you'd miss a lot. You'd miss a lot about understanding about shepherding and leadership and who Jesus is to you. Now, if you were here last week, you may recall we heard what was wrong with Israel's shepherds in the past, those priests and kings. Next week, Jeff Lynn uh, will be helping us to understand the role of the pastor shepherd within God's church from 1 Peter 5. But here's the question. If there was massive things wrong with Israel's shepherds in the Old Testament, what is there to say that the same things that were wrong with Israel's shepherds in the Old Testament won't just be repeated by people given the role of shepherd in the New Testament? What's there to say that the experience of being a sheep in the Old Testament time will be any different from being under other leaders in the New Testament time? Well, thankfully, there is an answer. Something has happened. It's the answer to this puzzle. It hinges on Jesus' shepherding role as the gate and the good shepherd. Because if you, get, if you understand that, you can see he really does change things. So in verse 7 to 10, first of all, Jesus tells us he is the gate for the sheep. This will take a little bit of time. Now, back then at night, sheep were kept in some sort of walled enclosure, perhaps a family courtyard, maybe a, a larger separate enclosure where several flocks of sheep could be kept at night and where an under-shepherd or a watchman could be hired to guard the gate and only let in those who were shepherds. Meaning, of course, that if someone wanted to come in and steal or attack the sheep, they would have to climb in some other way, perhaps over the wall for example. Well, Jesus picks up on that imagery and he says emphatically, I, I myself am the gate for the sheep. And he's marking a key difference between what was true in the past in terms of Israel's shepherds and what's now true. He says, all who've come before me were thieves and robbers. Now, that is a huge statement to make. It's a blanket statement, which stretches back hundreds of years. All who've come before me, what's he talking about? Well, again, if you were here last week, Ezekiel 34, the Lord declares that he is against those shepherds of Israel, the kings and the priests, the leaders, because they looked only after themselves. They would slaughter the choicest of animals, clothe themselves with the wool, and yet be wholly negligent in caring for the flock. Now, Jesus says that across the board, and perhaps there's one or two exceptions, all the religious leaders of Israel who'd come before him were in it for what they could get, power or money. So this is the assessment of the Lord Jesus himself. He says, as to their pastoral duties, they were wholly negligent. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, well, I know some pastors today who have been like that. And that may be true. It's not actually the point Jesus is making. For him, the comparison is backwards. We'll come to the other one. But for him, the comparison is backwards. 
He's making a statement about his position in salvation history that in the whole dealings with God's, God and his people, the history of spiritual leadership up until that moment has been one of corruption and neglect of the sheep. And obviously that is a serious and tragic sin. Now, of course, people today aren't immune from it, but the point that Jesus is making is that something has now happened to ensure that the flock that is believers in Jesus will henceforth be shepherded differently from God's people in the past. And what has happened, the crucial difference, is that Jesus has come. He is completely different to the shepherds who've gone before. He is completely unique uh, in his shepherding role. He says, I myself am the gate. Okay. Last Wednesday night at our Life Explored course, I asked people whether they could come up with a metaphor for what Jesus is to them. Uh, someone said a pillar, a helping hand, a waterfall, a well. I wonder what you'd come up with. Well, what no one said was a gate. But if you thought of yourself as a sheep, a gate would be a very obvious metaphor. Because if you were a sheep coming in at the end of the day, the gate meant, of course, a doorway to safety. It meant protection. If you're a sheep going out in the morning, the gate meant the doorway to pasture. Safety and nourishing pasture under the protection of the shepherd. That is what we want, isn't it? That's what we want. That's what we need. Safety in our walk that come what may, we know that the Lord Jesus Christ will be with us through hell and high water. He will not let us go. He has our back. He is there for us and he will protect us. And pasture, that he is concerned and he will make sure that we get food for our souls. He will nourish us in our life. In fact, he himself will be our pasture. He will, he will keep us going. And the reality is that since Jesus has come, this is true. We find it in him. Jesus said, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and he will go out and find pasture. The thief, the thief only comes to kill and destroy. I, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it to the full. Now, we've heard that being said before. What does he mean? Well, guess what he's shown us. If you have your Bibles there, rewind only a few verses. We see Jesus has shown it. From the end of chapter 9, of course, we see that Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. But he's speaking to them in the presence of the man who had been born blind, but whom Jesus had healed. And this man is really important for us to open our eyes to the difference that Jesus makes to the whole pastoral leadership and shepherding of God's people. Because how he treats the man stands in marked contrast to how the Pharisees treat the man, and really they are representing all the religious leaders who came before them. And this man 
is one of Israel's most vulnerable and needy sheep. Being blind, he was an outcast. That meant he was unwelcome at the temple. We know that he was judged by others because he was blind. People assume that either he or his parents must have sinned that he was born blind. But Jesus corrects that. He meets him and he treats him differently. He talks to him. He touches him. He sends him to wash. And when the man goes and washes and then is healed and can see, how did the Jewish leaders respond? Do they, do they say, praise be to God that he has healed you? Praise be to God that the one who was lost is now welcome. Welcome in, brother. You no, non, no longer need to be an outcast. You are one of us. Welcome. No, no, they don't do that at all. They interrogate him. Not once, twice. They interrogate his parents who were so petrified that they really want to disown their son. The shepherds of Israel treat him appallingly. What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I've told you already, but you didn't listen. Do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? They hurl insults at him. You're this fellow's disciple. We're disciples of Moses. Well, we know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow Jesus, we don't even know where he comes from. Now, that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. Well, if this man weren't from God, he could do nothing. You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And with that, they throw him out. Jesus said that those who'd come before him were thieves and robbers and that they'd only come to steal and kill and destroy. He was not exaggerating. Was he exaggerating in calling himself the gate and that through him, Sheep could enter and have life to the full. Well, when Jesus heard that they'd thrown him out, Jesus went out of his way to search for the man until he found him. He searched for the lost. And when he found him, of course, this man hadn't yet seen Jesus. He'd only heard his voice. He was healed after he left and had to go and wash. When he found him, because he didn't know who Jesus was by sight, and Jesus said to him, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. You have see seen him. In fact, he is the one who's speaking with you. And then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Now, read into that what's going on. He is the gate for the sheep. He restores this man... He seeks him out when he's an outcast, rejected by the rulers, rejected by his family, rejected by society. And he had come to Jesus, sorry, he had come to this man and Jesus revealed more and more of himself until the man grasped what life was about, which was worshipping the one who is the son of man. 
This man had experienced in Jesus the merciful touch of God himself who had come to him and restored not only his sight but at the same time a relationship with the living God himself. And it all came through Jesus. And the, the contrast in the way Jesus um, treats this guy and the way the Pharisees did couldn't have been greater. So the Jewish leaders, even though they physically could see, in fact they were pastorally blind to the man's needs and they were spiritually blind to seeing Jesus as he was. But they were wrong on both counts. And hence Jesus' discussion about shepherding in chapter 10. Now for those who are present and listening, like the blind man who had never experienced caring leadership in, from any leader except from Jesus, they understood perfectly. And they came to Jesus and worshipped him. Verse 27, Jesus says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one shall snatch them out of my hand. You see, he's the gate. Many of us know what it is to be nourished by teaching which speaks to us, not of guilt, not of morality, not of law, but of Jesus. And we know that in him we find protection and life and relationship with God, the God whom we worship. Life in abundance. Some of you, because of your history, haven't been fed like that. What you have heard from your shepherds has been condemnation and law, and that has left you spiritually weak and malnourished and perhaps afraid. If that is you, you I, I want you to hear that Jesus is speaking to you here. And I want you to hear what he is saying. That for you, he is no robber. He's not going to harm you. And he's no thief. Someone to use you. To every person here, Jesus Christ offers life under his nourishment and protection, life to the full. And we sang it, didn't we? I heard the voice of Jesus say, come unto me and rest. Lay down, thou weary one, lay down, thy head upon my breast. I came to Jesus as I was, so weary, worn and sad. I found in him a resting place and he has made me glad. Jesus Christ is your gate to life with God that is safe and is satisfying. But now he changes the metaphor and he, once again he says emphatically, I, I am the good shepherd. And so now he's expanding on who he is to us. You see, God's solution in the time of Ezekiel to the consistently corrupt shepherds were that his, uh, who were his priests was the promise that he himself would come and he himself would shepherd his people. God says, I will rescue my flock. I will bring them out of the nations. I will pasture them on mountains of Israel. I will, myself will tend my sheep. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. And his plan gets even more specific. He would do it through his servant David. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them and will be their shepherd. God shepherding his people through one. And so when Jesus says, in John 10, that he is the good shepherd. You, you realize what he's saying. Here's the announcement that he at last is the one that Ezekiel prophesied about 600 years before. 
And that then makes what he's about to say even more astounding because after all those years of waiting and finally he says, I'm the good shepherd, then he says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep to which everyone who'd been waiting would have gone, what? You're only just here and you're going to die? Now, this is something entirely new and for them hard to understand and perhaps for us. Because yes, a true shepherd owns the flock, a true shepherd will put his life on the line to defend the sheep. Of course, no hired hand would do this. A hired hand doesn't care for the sheep, not like that. But a true shepherd would. But now Jesus goes one step further. He's not just a true shepherd who owns the flock, who cares for the sheep, who puts his life on the line for the sake of the sheep. He's the good shepherd who goes further, who deliberately lays down his life for the sheep. He gives himself over to death, not in some meaningless sentimental way as if he was to you know, run off a cliff and say, see how much I love you, does nothing. He lays down his life in protection of the sheep to save them. And implicit in this is an understanding that he sacrifices himself to save the lives of the sheep. We celebrate it every time we receive the Lord's Supper. We take the bread and the cup and we think, you know, it's a physical reminder. He did it for me. And then at that moment, perhaps you might think, well, it was easy for him, <laughs> isn't it? You know, he was God, you know, to lay down your life it's for Jesus, no more difficult than for us if we were to take off a, a coat and lay it down. And then he kind of just floated through, disembodied, but, you know, it's okay. The garment Jesus took off was not just his body, it was his life. He didn't just shake off the mortal coil and drift through. He laid down his life. He died, meaning when he died, he was dead. He was not alive because he was dead. Death wasn't just a door he went through, it was the punishment of God that ended him being alive. And the whole reason he laid down his life was that he cared for the sheep. Do you believe it? In the end, there's no greater pastoral question than the final question of what does God think of me? It's the vital question for all of us. What does God think of you in the final analysis? What does he think? What will he say? Is he for you? Is he against you? We avoid the question. We distract ourselves from thinking about it. Or we face the question and we hide our fears under a false bravado. We tell ourselves we're, a good, we're good people. We're not as bad as others. We become experts at kidding ourselves. But the problem with God is you can't hide your track record. And the longer you live, the longer your record becomes. All the thoughts, all the actions, the things done in private, the things done in public. In the end, when all is said and done, what does God think of me? What does God think of you? There's no greater question. From the lips of Jesus, we have heard the answer. 
He is the good shepherd who lays down his life for you. The hired hand would do no such thing because verse 13, the hired hand cares nothing for the sheep. But not so the good shepherd. The good shepherd cares for his sheep. Do you believe it? In your heart of hearts, do you believe that that is what he thinks of you? That primarily, his major thought is is of one of care. That he really does deeply, deeply care for you. Not long after this event, Jesus the Good Shepherd crosses the Kidron Valley and goes into a walled olive grove called Gethsemane with his disciples, with his flock, his sheep. Very similar to a shepherd going into an enclosure with the sheep. A wolf appears. A wolf named Judas comes to the grove, leading, in fact, a pack of wolves sent by the chief priests and the Pharisees the old shepherds of Israel. Jesus knew what was going to happen. Are you seeing what's happening here? Because leaving his sheep in the safety of the fold, Jesus goes out to meet them. Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, say the wolves. He says, I am he. And if you're looking for me, let these men go. See what he's doing? He lays down his life to protect the sheep. That's what he does. John writes in chapter 18, this happened so that the words he spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those whom you gave me. He cares, you see. You can be absolutely assured he cares. He is the, the gate to safe and satisfying spiritual life. He's the good shepherd who cares, who lays down his life for the sheep. Now, both of those things, when you put them together, means that shepherding of God's people has permanently changed forever. We are not in Old Testament times, not anymore. Something has happened. Now, of course, next week, Jeff will help us to understand how the role of pastor shepherd still applies, but it's been radically changed by the coming of Jesus himself. How so? Every pastor shepherd is themselves a sheep. This comes out in 1 Peter 5, in Peter's own words. And Jesus has set the example of what shepherding means. It doesn't mean that there can't ever be abuse of that role, but it does mean that there are a lot of shepherds who are trying to get it right, and it also does mean that someone else is your shepherd. And that's the key difference. Jesus remains your gate. He doesn't get replaced by anyone. Jesus remains your chief shepherd. He doesn't get replaced by anyone. Hebrews 13 verse 20. May the God of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. 1 Peter 2.25, you were like sheep going astray. Now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus doesn't relinquish that role or pass it on to anyone, you see. 1 Peter 5, 4. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Revelation 7, 17. The lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He's our shepherd to eternity. 
He will lead them to springs of living water. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So shepherding has fundamentally changed. Jesus remains your gate. He remains your shepherd despite what human shepherds may or may not do or be for you. Jesus Christ is your shepherd, first and foremost, primarily. He has changed that. Okay. Finally, Jesus being the good shepherd means that having life to the full is having a personal relationship with him. Listen to how Jesus put it in verse 14. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Now, this is more than Jesus just knowing facts about us, how many hairs are on our head or something. He knows us. This is relational language, like you'd know a friend. Or as Jesus put it, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father intimately, personally, wonderfully, rejoicing in one another, loving one another. The Father loving the Son because when he gave the Son the command to lay down his life, the Son gladly used his authority to do so and willingly did what the Father asked, endearing him to the Father all again. Just as the Father knows the Son like that and the Son knows the Father, so says Jesus, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And that is what life is about, to have that personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, God the Son. Now when I say this, you may think, I'm I'm not sure I have that relationship with Jesus. So let me ask, do you know him? And does he know you? In your life, you know, when you hear his word, as we've done this morning, do you hear his voice as if he's speaking to you? And do you know him when you hear it? Or or does it sound just unfamiliar, like the words of a stranger, someone you don't know? You know, in what you do, when you hear of, read of the man born blind bowing down and worshipping Jesus, is that something, yes, that you look forward to being able to do? Or is it something that has never entered your mind that you, you yourself would do that? In your prayers, do you, do you pray to the one who you know is, is your good shepherd, the one who really does know you and that you know that he cares for you as you pray despite your sin because he laid down his life for you? Is that your experience? As you've heard his words today, have you found yourself nodding and saying, yes, that's the Jesus I know or no, I never knew that about him. If your answer is yes, then of course be deeply, deeply thankful and live your life with Jesus, your shepherd and your gate. Live it to the full, under his protection, feeding on the nourishing forgiveness and wisdom and love that he provides. But if your answer is no, it could be that you've never known him. Um, uh, There is a famous evangelist in Sydney, John Chapman, who's now dead, but uh, he was around for a long time. He said that he sat in church for years before he realised he didn't know Jesus. Well, after Jesus said these words, the crowd was divided. Many clearly didn't know him. They thought him raving mad, possessed by a demon. But others, others were on the way. 
They said, no demon can open the eyes of a man born blind. So without being able to physically see him, who do you see? Who do you see in Jesus? Because who he is, who he can be for you, is your shepherd, your shepherd. Come to life, enter through the gate, who is Jesus Christ. Let's pray, Father in heaven, may it be true for every person in this building that we know you because we know Jesus Christ, the gate, the good shepherd. May it be true. And may we be able to live knowing that he is our chief shepherd, that he is our gate. And may we come to him gladly, always. In Jesus' name, amen.